For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Oh, yeah. Better than this. I don't know what I'm doing. I can't do this shit. What's better than this? Guys, being dudes here on the Draft Dudes Podcast, presented by Locked On. It's Joe Marino and Kyle Krabs from the Draft Network, and we are your hosts here on this Monday edition of the show. I say hosts somewhat lightly because Kyle is my guest today on the Draft Dudes Podcast because he recently put out his edge rankings for the 2019 NFL Draft. And I've got questions. I know you've got questions. And so we're going to put Kyle on the hot seat and get into these rankings. Kyle, welcome. This is weird. I don't know how I feel about it. Being a (laughs) guest on my own show. Well, I reminded the people that I was a Draft Dudes alumni (laughs) on that Twitch stream. That's true. Yeah. So So now I get to be a Draft Dudes alumni. Yeah, exactly. So uh, pleased to be greeted by special guest Kyle Krabs. Kyle Krabs works for the Draft Network. He's a senior NFL draft analyst. He's also the managing editor for the Dolphins Wire and the host of the Fin It to Win It podcast. We are pleased to have you on the show today, Kyle. It's a big year for edge rushers, and uh, you've recently ranked the top 10. And when you look over these rankings right there at the top, I think that's where the conversation starts because everybody is thinking Nick Bosa, edge one, but not Kyle Krabs. Not on your rankings. Brian Burns is the number one edge rusher on your board. Kyle, tell us why you have Burns over Bosa. Well, listen, before everybody like clutches their pearls and hides their babies and grabs their pitchforks and torches, like Nick's a top three player in the class. Okay, so let's get that out of the way. There's no disrespect here being done to Nick Bosa, really, honestly. Brian Burns, for me, player that, I think has a more dynamic pass rush skill set at his disposal. Nick is more of a power player, not quite maybe to the same degree as Joey was coming out of Ohio state. But, uh, Brian is more explosive, more twitchy, more bendy, more versatile, more, I don't want to say cerebral because Nick's pretty solid in that area too. More versatile with his pass rush counters. He can beat you in more ways. In my opinion, as an offensive tackle than what Nick Bosa can. Brian can also play out in space. He's got a little bit of diversity to his game in that regard as well. And he wasn't bad against the run. He wasn't Nick Bosa playing down in the B gap and stuffing things up. They're different style of players. But if Brian has outside leverage, I thought he did really well in that area playing at 228 pounds. Then he shows up at the combine and he's 249. 
He runs four uh, five, four five three in the forty with a mid one five in the ten yard split. Had explosive numbers. Ran seven oh one in the three cone drill. The dude added like. 20 pounds and sustained all of this explosiveness and change of direction skill and flexibility. And those things added together give him a very, very favorable projection to the next level. And for me, seeing how developed he is as a pass rusher, how potent he is as a pass rusher, it was just enough. Like they're both in that top 10 overall grade, but it was just enough for Burns when he backed up and solidified his standing with the combine testing to kind of break a tie between those two guys coming in. So Kyle, let me ask you this when it comes to this sorting out Burns and Bosa, one thing that's different about your work compared to what an NFL team might do is that you're scouting for all the teams and uh, in a vacuum, whereas a team is scouting for their defense. And so if you were a true four, three team like the San Francisco 49ers, would you have Bosa ahead of Burns on your board or as if you were maybe a team like the Green Bay Packers with Mike Pettin in a 3-4 scheme. Is it scheme-specific, or do you think, uh, regardless, there's a better prospect in Burns than Bosa? I think Brian's probably a little more scheme-specific than what Nick would be. But at the same time, like if your system can't fit a pass rusher like Brian Burns, you got to look yourself in the mirror and ask yourself what kind of system <laughs> you're running. Like he's, yeah. he's very, very good in that capacity. But if you're worried about a guy that you can play for 90 plus percent of your snaps, a guy that as compared to maybe 75, if you're worried about a guy, at least early on in his career, if you're worried about a guy who can be more versatile as far as playing with his hand in the dirt, Nick Bosa is probably the player that you're going to favor. And I would not fault any team for ultimately choosing Nick Bosa because they're the same value of player for me. They're both top 10 values. It really comes down to what are your specific needs at that edge position and does that sway the pendulum one way or the other? For me personally, operating on the outside looking in a vacuum, I'm going to covet the guy who's more of a potent pass rusher, Brian Burns. So at number one, we have Brian Burns from Florida State. Number two, Nick Bosa from Ohio State. Let's flip gears here to number three and four on this board. You have Cleveland yes. Farrell, the edge from Clemson at three. And Josh Allen, the edge from Kentucky at four. Maybe that's surprising for some people where, you know, Allen had the great season for Kentucky this past year, uh, millions of sacks, it seems like. But at the same time, Farrell had a good season. But for whatever reason, I, I think that most people would expect to load up in edge rankings and see uh, Al Allen as maybe the second highest rated edge. But you have him fourth and you have Farrell ahead of him. So maybe let us know what you're seeing in Farrell that puts him ahead of, of Allen and, and what you like about Allen as well. Sure. So before everybody clutches their pearls and hides their babies and grabs their pitchforks <laughs> and torches, all four of these guys are in the top 12 in my overall big board right now. Wow. Okay. So there's no, um, from my perspective, I'm sorry, there's no disrespect being done to any of these four football players if they're inside the top 12 overall players in the class. Uh, for me, the tiebreaker I specified a little bit in the article in the in the pre- uh, rankings blurb that I had listed, uh, really the difference between Farrell and Allen for me came down to these were both players that had first-round grades. So I had Burns and Bosa in a tier of their own, and the next tier down was Farrell and Allen. And I feel as though Farrell, even though he's a little more athletically limited as far as his explosiveness and his ability to play out in space, again, he provides a clearer and cleaner pass rush plan 
and avenues to attack offensive tackles than what Josh Allen does, who came a very notable or gained a very notable amount of polish in this in this area from 2017 to 2018. But I think Cleveland gives you more in that capacity, and I think that makes him a little bit of a more safe projection as far as you know what you're going to get. Now, I think the ceiling for Allen is higher. I don't think there's a question because his athletic ability and his explosiveness is more than that which you get with Cleveland Farrell. But we see guys who run 4-8, 4-9, come into the league as defensive ends and 4-3 defensive ends and have success. And Farrell is, I, I think, a guy with his hand power his length, and the pass rush counters that he does have and does use at his disposal, there's an avenue him for, for him to have success in the NFL. Kyle Krabs is my guest today on the Draft Dudes podcast. Oh, you can follow it. him on Twitter at Grinding the Tape. He's a senior NFL draft analyst for the Draft Network, also the lead editor for the Dolphins Wire, and he hosts the Fin It to Win It podcast. Kyle, as I look through the top 10 here, I'm guessing your first-round grades. Now, you mentioned all four of these top four are in the top 12 on your board, but is that the yes. – that's all the first-round grades. Okay. So those it's are the guys – It's all first-round grades, but there's two more right now in the top 32. Valentine's Day is just around the corner, and it's only fitting that this important interruption is brought to you by Manscaped. Manscaped is the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Have you thought about what you're getting your loved one this year? Or maybe you want to give the gift of sweet-smelling grundle bliss to your partner. I'm talking about the Manscaped Perfect Package 3.0. Whether you're the only one who gets to see what's going on down there or you're one of many, do you, your partner, and everyone else a favor and introduce yourself to this revolutionary company. Manscaped just launched their brand new Perfect Package. Inside the Manscaped Perfect Package, you'll find their Lawnmower 3.0 trimmer, which features skin-safe technology and will prevent you or your man from cutting his nuts. Speaking of smelling nice, let's be real. No one wants to carry around that locker room smell with them. That's why I am thankful for the Crop Preserver and Crop Reviver. These products keep your crotchal region from sweating, smelling, and sticking. The Perfect Package will also come with a pair of Manscaped boxer briefs that'll keep that junk feeling fresh all day. It's time to upgrade those overused pair of boxers to this new new. Give the gift that will make your Valentine's Day spicy. Go to manscaped.com and use the promo code locked on to get 20% off and free shipping. Ladies, this is the perfect gift for you and your man and men. Your partner will thank you. Trust me, he will thank you. And guess who else will thank you? Your balls will thank you. 20% off and free shipping when you use the promo code locked on at manscaped.com. So that would get us to these next couple here with Montez Sweat from Mississippi State at five, Chase Winovich from Michigan at six. I want to yes. focus this discussion right now 100% on Montez Sweat because this is a player who blew up the scouting combine. I mean, the prototype in terms of his size with you know, 6'5", 260, 35 and three-quarter inch arms, 10 and a half inch hands, but then he runs 4'4'1", and he's got 36-inch for a 125-inch broad, and even his agilities were good, and we didn't expect him to be good. So, Kyle, what's going on with Sweat here? I think he's going to be a top 10 pick when it's all said and done. Why is that maybe too rich for you, and what do you like most about Sweat, who really had two years of outstanding production in the SEC? Yeah, so Sweat was a, a JUCO transfer over to Mississippi State and had two really strong years of play at the SEC level, as you said. Um, my areas of attraction 
with Sweat is obviously the measurables, the size and the length, the extension skills that he brings, but he uses those extension skills in a functional capacity that really stands out to me. When he's playing the run, he locks horns with offensive tackles and he really gets a nice stack on those tackles. So he gets his arms extended and he creates space that allows him to have the ability to disengage in either direction, depending on where the ball carriers is choosing to cut. So he's got, I don't say two gap ability, but, but he plays outside in really, really well. And he keeps his, he keeps his chest clean, keeps that separation. I like him better in run defending than I actually do as a pass rusher right now. I think he's got a really great first step, obviously as evidenced by his 10 yard split. And he's very explosive as evidenced by his testing numbers. Uh, but I didn't think he played with the same functional change of direction skills as what is he, what he did uh, when he tested at the combine the, the flexibility was an area that stood out to me. I thought he had a really hard time when he reached the apex of his rush to flatten and turn the corner with speed. And that really took away from a lot of his upfield charges when he had these really dynamic first steps. Uh, he was unable to kind of gear down and drop the, the inside hip and the inside shoulder and turn the corner on offensive tackles. And you saw him get ridden out of a lot of plays in that way. But he he has a really nice motor, so he'll come back down into the pocket. But he wasn't winning clean in an area of speed, which is supposed to be one of his best qualities. So there's a little bit of a, a dilemma there with Sweat, knowing that you're getting a sound run defender, you're getting an explosive player with long arms that checks all those boxes that you really like, but he's not quite there yet as a pass rusher as far as his counters. Uh, he's more linear with his explosiveness right now as far as his functional athleticism on the field. If he reaches his ceiling at the next level, what type of player are we talking about? Is mm-hmm. a perennial 10-sack-a-year guy? I mean, is that type of ceiling he has? Because um, I think he's going in the top 10. And so I think no, there's I probably – I disagree with you. Yeah, I, I mean, you look too. at – the Giants, Lions, Bills, even Jaguars, I mean, somewhere in that range, he's going to come off the board. And if I'm taking a player that high, I want to know, hey, I'm getting a a guy that other teams are scared to play against that affect game plans. It's going to create consistent pressure. I don't know if I hear you saying that he's going to be that guy. Well, I don't think he, for me, he he is in that stratosphere of a player because he'd be higher than the fifth edge on the rankings. Yeah, I think right. he's a really start, solid starter. I think he has athletic upside and, and room to grow a little bit as far as you know, diminishing those pass rush angles early instead of just trying to be uh, – when he tries to just test you with speed, he's not successful. I thought his best pass rush counters were when he did push-pull, which again is when he locks you up and extends his arms, or his power rushes. Um so he needs to to really work on the finesse areas of his game. If he does, great. You know, we're talking eight to twelve sacks a year. But in the meantime, I'm more reliant on him to be gap penetration guy. You're trying to work him straight up the field. You're gonna know he's gonna set a really solid edge for you. And maybe you try and run stuff crossing across offensive tackles faces and amplify some of his linear explosiveness. Uh, as a way to kind of confuse protection schemes and make things easier for him until he does get up to speed with some of his finesse stuff. Moving on to Chase Winovich, the edge rusher from Michigan, a player that, man, I did him recently, and I really liked what I saw. I mean, I think, uh, you know, it's easy to to just fall in love with how competitive he is and how crazy his motor is, 
but there's a lot of technique behind what this man does. So, Kyle, tell us about the player with the best hair in the class, Chase oh, Winovich. No question, no question. So, <laughs> uh, Winovich, I have to revise my summary for him as a player a little bit. Uh, I had listed him as a great example of an overachiever. Didn't think he was athletic as what he tested as. He just oh, yeah. he was a guy that played with his hair on fire, right? And he's flying all over the field, and he's just out hustling guys. But he did strike me before the combine as a guy who maybe wasn't an elite athlete, but he was highly polished as a defender and showed a great understanding of the game and protections and reading blocks and feeling blocks when he's engaged with with pass blockers or run blockers and executing as necessary with his hand counters to – uh, disengage from those blocks and get into pursuit of the football. Um, I thought he was. I thought he was a fairly safe projection as far as he plays the game in a technical capacity that allows you to project him very cleanly to the next level. You you know what you're going to get to a certain degree with Winovich, where he's not the most potent. Like he's not a Josh Allen type ceiling player. He's not a Brian Burns type pass rusher. But the motor is so hot when he's on the field you better account for him and you better not try and block him with cheapies like tight ends and, and running backs because <laughs> he will smack him. those guys right in the face. He's going to kill. Them. You said cheapies. I got, yeah, <laughs> I like that term. I like no that cheapies. term. Yeah. Don't no give him cheapies. Don't give him cheapies. Uh, all right. So the, now you said all six of those players are on the top 32 on your big board. Yeah. So, so as of right now, I've done 260 players out of 300 on the board. And I have the first four are in the top 12. And then I have Montez Sweat at 23 and Winovich at 25. Okay. So reasonable players in your view, the way you're valuing and stacking these players to be a first-round pick. It's interesting. I gave Winovich – I did a seven-round mock draft for the Chiefs. Just put it on Twitter using the mock draft machine on draftnetwork.com. I gave them Winovich. I did, and and that's because I feel like the well runs up. I really do. I feel like if you're and the Chiefs who need, I mean, come on now, they need a pass rusher in a in a big way. Saying goodbye to D Ford and Justin Houston, who's going to rush off the edge there? Not Breland Speaks, right? So (laughs) I thought it was like I better do this now, or else I'm going to get in trouble. And what's interesting about Winovich, I think maybe some people might say three four stand up guy. I want him playing oh, forward. I never, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't like him in his space reps. I, did you see the same thing? Yeah, I really liked him when he's able to when he, you give him the chance to reset the line of scrimmage. I think that's where he's really good. I don't think he's got the hips necessarily to play out in space and be dynamic to kind of open his hips into the boundary when you test him with speed outside. But if you put his hand in the dirt. And he has the opportunity to feel blocks. Again, that's where I thought he did really well, was feeling blocks with his hands and then anticipating the flow of the play. So if you put him outside and you ask him to stand up and you extend and prolong that time before he's able to get his hands on guys, I think you're taken away from one of the things that he does really well. This is NFL Under Review, local experts on the biggest NFL stories. 
The NFL Honors Award Show was last week and one surprise when it came to Defensive Player of the Year. This is Bear Motter with your Los Angeles Rams update from Locked On Rams. Aaron Donald would have been the first player in NFL history to win the award three straight years in a row, but it wasn't the case that the NFL Honors that award this year went to Stephon Gilmore. And don't get me wrong, Stephon Gilmore had a great season. Six interceptions, 18 pass deflected, two touchdowns. He had 53 total tackles. Stephon Gilmore won the award with 21 votes. Chandler Jones came in second with 14. TJ Watt with 10. Although Donald says this doesn't bother him, I see him putting this chip on his shoulder, working even harder, and coming back stronger in 2020, which is a scary thing for the rest of the NFL. For more NFL news, subscribe to the Locked On NFL Podcast only on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle, Charles Amenahue from Texas at number seven. feel like this is one of those Patriots-type players, the Trey Flowers mold, the player that you know that all the the Belichick disciples throughout the NFL are going to love. What do you like about Amenahue, and uh, what type of ceiling do you think he has? Yeah, this is the drop-off right here. Amenahue, for me right now, again, I've done 260 to 300, is sitting 47 okay, so on it's the a board. Little, yeah, so there's, 20, there's a pretty significant drop here. Yeah. Um, he's a solid player. And as you said, that, that Patriots mold, the Lions now play this type of mold. You could see him in Houston as a potential kind of hybrid moving up and down the line of scrimmage. Bill, Bill O'Brien's there. The Miami Dolphins in the second round, if he's there at 48, I believe the Dolphins pick. That's a home run selection for them as far as the prototype that they're looking for is now cut from this same exact cloth. Uh, so he's going to have suitors. I think he'll be... Top 50, top 60 pick is pretty safe as far as a projection for a Menahue, in my opinion. Uh, I like Charles. I don't think he's very good when he has to turn the corner on guys. He is a guy that wins by reducing angles with his hands and his power and his extension, much like we talked about what Montez Sweat did, but a Menahue's just not an explosive dynamic athlete, and he's not he's heavier than Montez Sweat. So it's interesting. Those two guys are built very differently and they have very different athletic profiles, but they win in the same way. And I think that's why Sweat has such an attraction to a lot of teams, is that you know with the heavy hands and the extension skills that he has, he's going to reset the line of scrimmage. That offensive lineman's going to be a half yard, a full yard back further than where the rest of the offensive line started. And now you've naturally created a two-way go for yourself as a defender where you've created creases in the line of scrimmage to be able to press into gaps because that, that front offensively is no longer hip-to-hip. So those hands really win reps for Charles Amenahue, and you see it week after week when you turn on the tape with him. Kyle, one of the most polarizing players in the class all of a sudden is Ja'Kai Polite, who you have number eight on your board. And this is a player that – when we were doing mock drafts before the combine, there was always a spot for him in the first round. And obviously yeah. that combine didn't go well at all in any area. And one thing that we know about Ja'Kai Polite is he didn't become a worse football player over the last few months, but there's been some flags that certainly have popped up along the way here. How concerned are you with Polite? And, and you know, are we overlooking what was a really exciting player on tape? Well, I think, Polite was what people wanted to box Brian Burns into being, in my opinion, even before the combine. I didn't think Polite played the run very good at all. Uh, I thought he gave a good effort in the run game, and he didn't get blown off the ball in the run game, but 
when he's trying to stretch out plays, he's giving ground, he's getting bubbled, guys are working their hips across his face. He wasn't super stout in that capacity, and I didn't think he won with a lot of extension skills in those areas. So those those kinds of things were things that always kind of had me polite was like edge five, edge six, and then the combine happens and you go back and you look at the tape and I didn't really change all that much, but like Amenahue measured in really well and had fair testing and he's in the same bucket as Ja'Kai Polite and Ja'Kai came in heavy and tested like trash. So that was a tiebreaker for him. Winovich, I went back and watched after the combine with his athletic testing and I gave him a boost in some small areas and it pulled him out of the same bucket as what Ja'Kai and Amenahue were in and into the next bucket. So it, it that pulled Winovich above Polite as well. So I didn't really change all that much with Polite. Yes, there's red flags, but as you said, he didn't become any worse as a football player. So the sliding and rearranging on the more, on the board was more about how Winovich and Amenahue helped themselves and Polite kind of stayed stagnant or added questions. But you can't go back to the tape and watch his tape and say that he's not flexible, yeah. he's not explosive, because he, right. he definitely is. But I don't think he's a consistent three down player right now and then you add the red flags on top of that and the poor resume as far as the production or maybe not necessarily production but the starting experience relative to some of these other guys and the athletic testing and that's how he's ended up down here as a solid second round grade for me uh, but the eighth overall edge defender he's sitting for me uh 53 on the board right now yeah and the thing for me with polite um is what what everything that we learned after the season about him, it kind of uh, the stuff that I was kind of overlooking, giving him the benefit of the doubt on mainly mm-hmm. uh, that he was a kind of a part-time player. And then he just kind of had a slender build. You just didn't see much um, development in terms of his physical uh, composition, which you would expect for a player that's been in an sec weight program for three, four years. So it kind of uh, gave more life to some of those concerns. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, he, he's explosive. He's flexible on tape. He's really exciting as a pass rusher. We just, you know, it's it's going to be on him, right? How well does he develop right. and put everything together? We close up the uh, the top ten here with a couple of guys from TCU, Ben Banigo and uh, LJ Collier. Very different players, but uh, in your top ten, Kyle, talk to us about these Horn Frogs and maybe a couple of the players that just missed. Yeah, uh, Banigo surprised me. You know, he was a player you were on. Last summer, Joe. I liked him. Yeah. Like, hey, this guy's got, you know, really nice athletic upside. He's really raw. Well, the bad news is he didn't get any more technically refined this past <laughs> year at TZ. He's still raw as hell. Yeah. Um, but you watch Ohio State and you watch some of these games, you watch Oklahoma, and like he's still really disruptive. Despite the fact that he's not finishing, I think that was his biggest issue. Like He's executing team defense, executing his primary responsibility. He's finding the football. He's attacking the football. But they never really gave him like free reign to be aggressive, it felt like. And I think that really pulled a lot off his plate as far as finishing plays. And that emphasis on team defense and gap control and those sorts of things really kind of removed reps for him and opportunities to to add polish and, and pass rush counters that are Know, translatable to the next level. He missed a lot of those reps at the college level. It was like, okay, here's your role. Go do your job. And he did, and he did it fine. But you see the athletic testing that it brings. It says, holy cow, like this is what we expected Ja'Kai Polite was going to be. 
right? Like mm-hmm. in your best case scenario, if Polite comes in and he plays to his testing, he tests and measures like Bam Banago. Yeah, exactly. Yep. And it was an eye opener. So I have third round grades on both these TCU kids, Banago and Collier. Uh, the ceiling for Banago is just tremendous. And that feels, this feels like the right range in which you can take a risk on a guy that is such an impressive athletic player and has so much room to grow and did show mental discipline to play the team defense to the execution and the responsibilities that he was given. LJ Collier is another ex- ascending player is a first year starter this year at TCU, a heavy handed dude. He's kind of the same mold as Charles at Menahue where like those same types of teams are really going to like him. I know the dolphins have him in for one of their uh, 30 visits before the draft and uh, would, would not surprise me at all. Even at 48, depending on if a Menahue's there, if they prefer Collier, like to see Collier go in that top 50 range, just because heavy hands and he is very, very good at attacking offensive linemen with his hands and walking those guys down. And he's got just enough burst in his game when he wants to, to really get up the field. My comp for him is Mario Edwards, who got drafted by the Raiders, I believe the third round. No, he was early, he was uh, early second round pick. Believe he was it or not, early yeah. second round pick. Yes, yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> um, doesn't really know what he's doing at pass rusher yet, but um, he he has the kind of traits that are going to draw eyeballs, and it's going to get him overdrafted, even if it shouldn't. As far as guys that missed, uh, the one I'll give you two. The one that stands out to me is Christian Miller from Alabama. Uh, he's my eleventh rated edge defender. He's a guy who. Uh, also has a third-round grade. He didn't get to start a whole lot at Alabama, and much like Collier is like a one-year starter, like it left him a little rough around the edges. He's a little bit more of what people on the Internet like to see out of their edge guys, guys that are super bendy and explosive on their first step and can really turn the corner on guys. Collier's not that type of guy. He's more of a power guy. Christian Miller, very, very close to being edge 10. And then the other one that I admitted was Sutton Smith, who I'm actually projecting to be an off-ball linebacker, was still in that third-round range, though, of a played edge at the college level at Northern Illinois. I think he's kind of a Joe Schobert-type player who I really like his projection to the next level with his athleticism and his short area quickness and his football intelligence. It's just a question of you're going to have to project this guy to a new role because he can't play edge with, like, 30-inch arms. It's just not going to happen, and he has no strength. He got manhandled by offensive tackles at the Senior Bowl. Uh, so it's it's not going to lend itself very favorably to a projection in the next level. We hope you guys enjoyed, unless you have anything else. <laughs> no, I was going to let you. Go ahead. You, you can do the close. Thanks for being a wonderful guest, Kyle. Thanks, Joe. I uh, got my uh, air conditioner going on over here, so I'm trying to roll and, and spare the people from listening to the hum as I wrap the show. Hope you guys enjoyed Joe interviewing me on my own show. We're going to have to wait until Joe gets a position group done, and I will eagerly and gladly step into the interviewer's shoes. And Joe can be the interviewee, and uh, I'll ask some hard-hitting questions and put him under the gun. Thanks, as always, for listening. Uh, Make sure you come back tomorrow for Takes on Takes. If you have any last-minute takes, you can submit them on Twitter at Marino and at GrindingTheTape with the hashtag Takes on Takes. See you guys tomorrow. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Grainger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. 
Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.